We are diving so far into business in a way that I haven't covered on this podcast yet with Justin Mahaley. If you're not familiar with him, he is a phenomenal bodybuilding coach and just a phenomenal coach in general, working with clients of all types and backgrounds. But ultimately, he and I share such a similar viewpoint when it comes to grit and perseverance. And he and I come from basically nothing, right? And I think, you know, when we talk about business and scale and seven-figure companies, you're thinking of ads and flashy stuff and all of that, right? And what I love about Justin's story is it was so simple and there was so much hard work involved and there were so little payoffs in the beginning. He told me that his very first year in business, he only made $24,000, but two years later made his first million. So we're diving into how to develop that mental toughness because I know what it's like to know what you should do, but struggle to do it, right? Or when you've been trying for so long, you wanna give up, right? Because you're, you're worried about the debt or what's in your bank account. And so we're diving into how to develop mental toughness and we're also diving into a few personal stories, right? Relationships, boundaries, things of that nature. So I'm really stoked for this chat with Justin Mahaley, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHayes, a seven-figure business consultant and strategist for online fitness coaches wanting to build life-changing companies. Real talk, I wasn't an overnight success and that would make for a pretty boring story. I was fired from my TV reporting career of a decade with just $825 to my name. In just two years, I built a seven-figure coaching business. Now I'm sharing my proven strategies with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Welcome to the Taylor Hayes podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Justin, I'm stoked to have you on, man. One, it's funny because I'm sure you hear this, but I've followed you for a while. I have a lot of clients that look up to you. I've always been uh, kind of enamored by your grit and your mentality. And so I'm really stoked because I think that we're going to find a lot of similarities. But uh, anyway, thanks for hanging out with me. Dude, I really appreciate that you're starting me off. I'm cheesing ear to ear already. Goodness. I, I, I hope that I can live up to the hype. <laughs> that's going to be the hard part, right? I set the stage really high and then uh, no. you like crumble, right? No, that that's not going to happen at all. I'm super stoked because like I mentioned before, we actually started recording this, right? We were kind of just going back and forth. Um, seriously, I, <clears throat> I, I want to get the point across that building a business is of course not easy, but more importantly, like, you've had so many trials and tribulations and ups and downs and people look at you thinking, damn, like you've got a wild, success, wildly successful company. And I don't think they realize like what all goes into that. And so I'm really excited to, to dive into it. Um, kind of like you mentioned earlier, like you've already spent how much this month? Yeah, I just posted. Um, so it's January 15th. Yeah, January 15th. And $135,000 in 15 days that has all gone into business development. We're building out a whole marketing team. We're building out an entire sales team. We have this custom CRM that's being created for us. Um, hired a biz org uh, director because we're scaling really fast right now. And like um, my friend, Chris, he, he we met on it the other day. Uh, my first time on it gym, an incredible gym down here. We're three uh, sets back and forth on the uh, prowler, like on the sled. My heart's pounding out of my chest. And Chris, he runs the Modern Wisdom podcast. Well, it's like one of the top 10 in America right now. And he asked me, he goes, what's your biggest struggle in life right now? And I was like, my next evolution of business is into a place that I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm terrified. So we do another down and back and he goes, I came up with a thing. He said, 
we're going to call this Titanic problems. Everyone on the outside is there like, wow, Justin's on the Titanic. It's the greatest cruise ship of all time. That is insane that he's on the Titanic. And meanwhile, you're on the Titanic with water up to your chin about to drown because you literally don't have anywhere to go as the whole boat is sinking. So the boat looks amazing, but internally you have no idea what to do. And um, I think that's part of entrepreneurship every time you're really looking to scale big. I mean, every time, especially when you get to a certain point, it's, it's funny that you say that too, because I'd have to look at what I've spent as well. But I was recently very transparent, actually yesterday on my stories saying how, you know, December was the worst cash month that we've had. And I, I mean, new cash, not recurring revenue, but we completely exhausted every effort for our Black Friday deal. So we we totally prepared for a slower December in terms of new clients. However, I knew in January, we were doubling our sales team. We were 11Xing our ad spend. We were giving team members raises. Did I bat an eye? No, but it's fucking scary nonetheless. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing either because I haven't been there yet, right? So yeah, I mean, it's just- um, it, it, it was Something I've noticed, I wish that 25-year-old entrepreneur Justin could see this. The more money I put out into the, the development, even if it might not be in the right place, which there's you have no idea what the right place is. I have no idea if I actually need a sales team. I just am looking at data and I'm like, I, th I think we do. I, I think maybe we do. I have no idea if this webinar situation is going to work. I just whenever money gets put into the business or put into your people it always comes back. Every single time it comes back. Absolutely. Even bad investments, right? Because I know you've made them yeah. too, I'm sure. It's like, we can talk about that later in this podcast, but even bad investments, like sure, they're expensive mistakes, but there's never a time where I haven't learned something and completely pivoted. And, and there's been ROI even from, you know, not so great investments, right? Yeah. So I want to first start off and, and I would love to know just kind of like where you were at in your early 20s, getting this idea of starting a business and just where you kind of came from and, and how that looked at the time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, great question. I was 19. I was running track at the University of Cincinnati and I you know, had a quick realization, one, because I kept losing every single race I was in. Uh, but two, because I just loved being in the weight room and I was surrounded by amazing strength and conditioning coaches that I want to help people. And I uh, got an opportunity at LA Fitness to personal train people. And then very quickly, uh, I had Ed Welch come out to Cincinnati. That was the owner at the time. I'm not sure if he still owns it. He came out to Cincinnati and I was appointed master trainer because I was the highest grossing trainer in the entire company. And I was like, well, damn, I'm not making any money. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. So, um, Shortly thereafter, I remember we had a nice dinner and everything with the PT director, with the regional manager, with all these people. And then shortly thereafter, might have been the next week, I was like, hey, guys, like I'm leaving. Um, and I'm like, all my clients are coming with me and whatnot. So went to a personal training studio. And then one day, one of my clients posted hashtag Team Mahaley when they made a Facebook post. And I was like, that's cool. And then like, my other clients started doing, I ran this Saturday morning boot camp, and we, you know, first time you run a boot camp, you have two people show up. And then the second time you got like five people. And then the third time you got like six people. 
And the fourth time, you got like 10 people. And then you're asking people to market and you're figuring out real fast how you grow this thing. And now all of a sudden you're 10 in and you got 40 people showing up for Saturday boot camps where the rest of the trainers at the studio are complaining about you. And I just ask them like, hey, would you mind allowing me to tag you in this Facebook post that said hashtag Team Haley on it? And I tagged 40 people and like 20 of them reshared. And now I'm getting a snowball effect of their people wanting to come join the class. I did it for free. Um, and I, I, know, I understand a lot of your listeners are early on in their coaching uh, careers. If you haven't given out a thousand free repetitions, then I don't think you're worthy of getting paid. Now, this doesn't mean start charging after a thousand free repetitions. But um, I've got like 20,000 tweets. I've got 400 podcasts. I've got 3,500 Instagram posts. I've got like 300 YouTube videos, all free value. That's just been like added over time. Tons of Facebook posts. So anyway, Snowballs, um, I was dating a girl at the time. One of the first ever online fitness coaches. And she was like, dude, like you can really kill this. So I made a post um, that I was going to do some online fitness stuff. And I was charging people 50 bucks a month. And I guess that's oh, yeah. kind of how it started. Um, and it's, it's crazy, I guess, look back on the origin of TM. Uh, but when I was 22, I was doing online coaching. So eight years ago. And now we've you know, turned out to be a pretty large company. So definitely proud of it. So when you first started, right? Because I find that so many coaches have similar backgrounds to you too. Maybe not the boot camps and all of that. And, and I want to, I want to hit on that repetition thing because I want to, I know that people are going to listen and they're going to pick what words they heard from that. And I want to, I want to reiterate the fact that you mentioned 3,500 Instagram posts, right? I looked at mine the other day. It's like over 6,000 because I was using mine as a blog, so to speak, I guess back mm -hmm. in 2012. So, you know, when we think about free information versus paid, I, I find so many coaches are like, oh man, no one's buying. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, have you given your friend a free workout? Have you made something free to give out? Have you just done some free audits, some free form checks, like anything free? It doesn't have to be a boot camp at LA Fitness, but we're so quick to like not give things away for free and give away shit for free as long as you can, because it's yeah. always going to build that rapport faster. But so anyway, the first, you know, one year of your business, typically coaches fail or they're just really grinding it out. And I just want to know for you, what was that first year online like for you? $24,000. I'll never forget it. I couldn't afford to live. I couldn't, I, um, uh, what is it called? I like defaulted on my student loan payments. My student loan payments were like twenty two hundred dollars a month, and I was making. I, was, I mean, I was making like two thousand on a good month, like maybe twenty five hundred. But um, twenty four thousand dollars was my first year in business, um, and um, my mom's helping me. My sister was helping me, and they really wanted me to like get a real job. They really wanted me to access it. And I remember there's been a ton of low points over the last eight, nine years of, of coaching people. But, uh, oh, this one was low. I was uh, in line every like Monday night. We had this friends get together and it was cookie night. And it was my responsibility to buy the cookies for this night. And we, we'd buy them, we'd bake them, you know, we'd have a fun little thing. And, um, I went to the checkout, 
card was declined buying like a $2.49 pack of cookies. And I called my mom and I was like, um, I don't have any money. And that was, that led to a very difficult conversation that she had with me that night. Um, you know, she transferred me like a hundred bucks. My mom at the time didn't have a ton of money either. I was very fortunate that she was able to help me. And, uh, if, I mean, if she had made any less money, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Cause I would have had to pick another career. I would have had to go do something else, but you know, she would give me like three or 400 bucks a month, um, which was crazy helpful at the time. And to say that I was skating by, I mean, barely, I mean, barely like, I remember uh, the first time my my account was ever over a thousand dollars was when I was 24 years old. How sad is that? It had never been over a thousand bucks. And you'd always done. I mean, from what you've told me, you'd always done training, right? Like, had you ever had another job that was anything else? So yeah, in high school I worked at Panera. Um, yeah, that was like five, six hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. And then like I did landscaping when I was younger and things like that. But no, as a professional. This is it. Okay. Because I can relate. I mean, you know, it, it's it's funny you say that because for me, my goal was to always have like no less than $500 in my bank account. And so hearing you say that, that's not crazy because I think I might've hit that around the same time because my, my take home from being a TV reporter, which everyone is like, you were on TV. You were, I'm like, I made 30K a year. Take away taxes, you're fucked, Right. So same as you, I remember starting my business with about $800 thinking, here we go. Um, yeah. And I was at 27, you know? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, okay. So 24,000, you're like, F this, I'm doing it. So yeah. 24,000 your first year, why did you keep going? And what did year two look like? I love helping people. I mean, I absolutely love helping people. When I get the message that someone feels better than they ever have before, or earlier today, I got a message from one of my close friends who is a client of mine. He's been a client about four years. Um, he's been on a um, male pregnant enhancement protocol. <laughs> for four weeks and uh his his uh better half is now pregnant and like the little things like that i'm I, I have a girl who's going into her third trimester um she came to me just all whacked out and with her health and she's in her third trimester um now pregnant and things are looking really healthy really good like this shit just gets me going obviously most people know me through the bodybuilding coaching success and let me say like winning shows is cool and amazing i love it i'll never get over it but it's the little things that keep me going and back then it was those little things that kept me going as well and um, i went into year two and i had a conversation with a gym owner mike Sita, and he was an amazing guy I was at Transform Youth Fitness in Cincinnati. And I was like, dude, like, I, I have to make more money. And he was like, okay, you can run my boot camp for me on Saturdays. He had a big boot camp on Saturdays where everyone paid like 10 bucks or something. And there was like 25, 30 people that showed up. So I had to ditch my free one, or maybe I pushed a free one to Sunday. I can't 100% remember, but that was an additional like 200, 250 bucks a week that I got from that. Well, when you're only making about 500 bucks a week, like your income just did a, a huge increase. So, um, you know, that was obviously very helpful. Then I was just continuing to grind away with free information. We had this whiteboard at the gym. 
And I segmented all of our days. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, each had their own types of workouts. And men would have a workout, women would have a workout because my men and women had similar goals um, as as like all men had a similar goals, other men, women had similar goals, other women. Um, so like I would have those workouts up and I started sharing them on Facebook and on Instagram. If you scroll back enough on Instagram, you'll see some of these. Well, that started generating some people. And then I started getting tagged in comments about like, hey, this guy's in Cincinnati. You're looking for a trainer and check him out. And then I was one of the first people sharing um, like first person shooter video content on Instagram and Facebook as well. Back when I was 23, I started doing it. And so then I kind of started seeing this and I know 24 was my first year making six figures. So I didn't do that when I was 23. Uh, but at 23, I was finally off my mom. I was finally off my sister. Like I, I mean, I remember I was, I was dating, um, I was dating that girl and I was going down to Florida pretty often where she lived. I was traveling around. So like I had a little bit of money then. Um, I mean, I hired Shelby Starnes as a bodybuilding coach. He was like $4,000 for like a 16 week preps. So like I had money for that. Um, so things changed, you know, relatively quickly at that point. So just for the timeline, 21 or was it 22 that you made 24K? Yeah, let's see. That would have been 22, 21 and 20. I was training at LA Fitness. 22 okay. is my first year. And then I transitioned to online uh, later that year as well. Uh, but 22 was my first year um, of uh, training independently at Transform You Fitness. And then 23 was my second year. By the end of 23 years old, I was all online at that point. Interrupting the podcast for just a second to ask you one question. Do you have a clear path to scaling your business? I mean all the way to seven figures. I want to tell you about Path to 4%. That's my highly transformative exclusive mastermind for six-figure coaches wanting to make their first million. I know you're totally overwhelmed with all the things it takes to run a business and manage your clients. Your systems have worked up until now, but they're not going to get you to multi-six or seven figures. You know you've got the coaching part on lock, look at your clients' results, but when it comes to the business stuff, funnels, metrics, and systems, you're totally lost and stressed out. That all changes in Path to 4%. I help you create and implement a growth strategy that is customized to your business. And as for the name, well, only 4% of online coaches reach the million dollar mark, and this mastermind astronomically increases your odds. And you'll work directly with me every step of the way. It's time to put yourself in the room with CEOs and leaders who have done what you want to do because that's the ticket to your quantum leap. Book a free strategy call with me and let's see if this is the right fit for your business. The link is in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. I think that people expect results instantly, right? Like, not even think. I mean, it's... It, People know what to do, so to speak, but they just don't do it sometimes, right? I know we'll dive into that for sure when we get into kind of like developing a stronger mindset. But, you know, other than helping people, like if somebody listens to this and they're like, dude, my back's up against a wall, like, yeah, I love helping people, but nobody's coming in the fucking door for me to help. What do you yeah. say to that person? 
you got to go find them. I tell my staff, I just hired six new coaches on my staff. If you're not posting actively three times a day, Monday through Friday on Instagram with, with content that is one valuable and two, like putting your face out in front of people. Like if no one recognizes you when you're walking around or when they scroll your page, if you walk into a gym and people don't know that you post content, then you're not in front of a camera enough and you have to be personable. You have to be charismatic. And these are muscles that you can um, develop. Dude, I was not charismatic. I was very insecure. Like if you look back on my first videos I posted on Instagram, you're going to be scrolling forever, but uh, yeah, it's not easy. And people are like, well, like it's so easy for you to hop in front of a camera. Yeah. Cause I've done it tens of thousands of times at this point, it becomes your whole life. It becomes everything that you do. So if you don't have leads coming in the door, it's because nobody knows what you do. If you don't go to your social media page, people should go to your page and instantly know what you do, not because of your bio. I don't even know if anyone reads bios because of the work that you put in. If you read one post, they should know exactly what you do. And I, I think something else is um, people talk to people like they're friends. And friends don't buy from friends. People buy from leaders. It's unfortunate, but that's just the reality of the beast. A client will become a friend much faster than a friend will become a client. So if you're in Instagram DMs, like talking to people like super casual, like a friend, because uh, I think DM outreach, it's not something huge that I do, but my staff kills it at DM outreach. We identify real fast if we have something that can actually help you or not. If we don't, then like we actually stage left. If we do, then we're going to convert you as a client. But when you're talking to someone like a friend, they're going to view you in that light. And I think a lot of early on trainers, I, 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 I know for a fact, I don't think, I know for a fact that because they have this scarcity mindset, like I need this person, you're doing everything in your power to get this person. And oftentimes that'll have a strain away from a leadership position or a position in power and more into that scarcity mindset, trying to make them feel comfortable, trying to make them, you know, feel friendly and, and accepted and all that stuff. When, I mean, I, I bring sports out into a lot of what I do. You don't go play for Nick Saban, although he's retired now. You don't go play for Nick Saban, Alabama, because he's going to be your buddy. You play for him because he's going to make you feel fiercely uncomfortable. There's going to be a ton of competition, and you're going to win a national championship and go to the NFL. So you need to approach sales in that exact same manner, in my opinion. But if you're not constantly in front of your audience, if no one knows who you are and you're not in front of them three times a day, I don't actually think that you want clients. I agree the same. No, I agree totally. Right. And, you know, I was somebody where when I first started my business, because I had been documenting my fitness journey for such a long time, I didn't get like a major influx necessarily, but I had random people that were like, okay, finally. Yes, absolutely. And I was charging like 150 bucks, nothing crazy. Uh, friends were hiring me, but that well dried up very quickly. That wasn't getting me to six figures or anywhere, anywhere close. And I didn't really know what DM strategy was at the time. I didn't know what a business coach was at the time. I just knew I had to talk to people every fucking day about my business. And to your extent, like there are so many people that are just like, oh, but it takes so long. Oh, the DMs. Oh, I'm posting. Oh, it's like, mm -hmm. do you want it or do you not want it? Yep. Right. Yep. 
Yep. I've been at it fucking nine years. I've been at nine years every single day with no, literally, you, you don't take breaks. You don't like every single day. So yeah, it takes a long time, but that, what's that saying? The more hands you shake, the more money you make. Yeah. That's the truest thing of all time. And like, I, I think a DM outreach is the equivalent of a handshake. I tell my staff, um, you want to grow your roster. There's some people on my staff that don't need to grow their rosters anymore. The ones who do, you, you don't have 30 DMS a day. You haven't sent out 30 DMS today. Like that's one of their KPIs. If your roster is at 30, you want to get to 60. You need to know your conversion rate. How many DMS do you have to send to get one sign up? It's typically going to be around 12 when it's done really fucking well. And they're actually nurtured. So you want to go plus 20 and you need 12 DMS for one sign up. 20 times 12 is 240 DMS that you have to send and nurture up on sales calls and complete a sign up to be able to get to that number. And like, people don't want to do that. And if you're down to 12 for one sign up, then you've got a pretty fucking dialed in process, right? Yeah. Like, very so, dialed in. Let me say, if you're listening to this brand new, it's going to take you a lot more than 12 because typically when you're starting out response rate is like 10%. So if you send 10 messages, you may have one person, right? So that's why I also say 30 is bare minimum for a day. Um, and, you know, getting under, getting, getting used to an approach and, and developing a, an approach that isn't, that just fits you. Like, I'm not the cold person where it's like, hi, I'm Taylor. Want to make money? Let's talk. Like, that's not what we do. Yeah. We, we go mm -hmm. friend first, human first, right? Yeah. So now that you're talking about your ACs, I want to bring that conversation up because, you know, there's lots of people listening that are wanting to build teams of ACs. And so with that being said, I would love to know if somebody maybe doesn't have a client that's a rock star that they're thinking of, like how would you recommend that they go about finding the right fit for their company and company culture? Yeah, that one's tough. I just did something I've never done. I put out a Grower Die podcast about a month ago saying I was hiring people and it was exclusive to the podcast. Never posted on Instagram, never posted on Facebook, didn't put it in our email list, didn't put it in our SMS, which actually real quick, by the way, um, the best conversion of outreach is SMS text by miles. Uh, yeah, 10% of people respond to DMs like if you're really good at email marketing, like 30% of people open your email, but everyone opens text messages and most people respond. But I, I don't want to get too caught up on that if we're looking to just get to that 100, 200,000 year mark. Um, so I put out a Grow podcast. I was like, if you guys have listened to these episodes and you feel that we're aligned and you have something you can add here. I want you to do this, this, and this. I want a five-minute loom video. I want you to talk about how TM and Grow or Die have impacted your life. Even if you're not a client, that's okay. Um, you know, link your socials. I'm gonna check you out. And I got 126 freaking um applications from that. Um, I hired six people from it. And um so it's a very strenuous process, but these are all people who I developed an ecosystem and an environment to where if you have the demand for having coaches who also work under your brand on TM, they're called success coaches. Well, we have different tiers. You come in as a success coach, you end up as a head coach, um, which is actually very freaking lucrative for them, but we only have two right now. It's very hard to get to. Um, but if you want to build this team of coaches who represent your brand, then you should have an ironclad culture identified and you should know exactly what 
you are, who your ideal client is, who the people that follow you are, exactly who you need, because you know exactly who you are. You know exactly the way you are showing up. And through that, I just feel like, Taylor, there's going to be people that you become friends with in your DMs. There's going to be people you become friends with through um, the organic nature of establishing culture that is going to be able to farm a place for you to pick people out from and just chat with them about if they're aligned with what your vision is. I think I just chatted with Jordan Duggar about this on the podcast. Hasn't come out yet, but um, we were talking about if you look at a business and over five years, over 70% of the employees are still there from five years ago to now, that means the business hasn't grown. So you have to realize who you start with is not going to be who you end with. And along this way, when you start bringing on coaches, you're going to have a vision and you're hiring somebody to match this current vision. But as the leader of the group, your vision is constantly growing, expanding, going different directions because you're the one getting all of the intake. You are the only one who's developing where this place goes next. And so Some people are going to drop off and that is okay. I, I really hate saying this, but um, I said it to Jordan off air. I wish I would have said it on air. So I'm going to use this as the opportunity. When I have to break up with someone who's on my staff, it's a very positive thing for me. And I hate that. I know that's probably the end of the road for a connection or a friendship, but I view it as a very positive thing for me because that means where we're going is TM only goes one way. Like you see all these coaches who have been here over the years, all these people who have left. I've never said a word about any of the departures. Um, some people were left. A lot of people were fired. A lot of people, we just mutually broke up. Every single time we get better and we improve. So I want the young people who are listening to this who might have staffs, one, two, three people, and maybe you're looking to bring on your first person. Dude, I've had 41 coaches on this team. I've got 11 right now. And That's part of the process of growing. If you guys are together for five years, it probably means you haven't grown very much. I just mentioned yesterday that you will have significantly more endings than beginnings in business talking about this. And the way that you handle endings directly correlates with the way that you'll scale. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I've I've handled endings very badly when I was like 25, 26, run by ego. So my first $100,000 year was 24. My first million dollar year was 26. It happened fast, like fast. And I was not ready. I was not emotionally prepared. I was not mentally prepared. I wasn't spiritually. I was nothing. And man, when it changes that fast, there's a ton of endings. And I destroyed the bridge in every single one of those endings. I mean, I just tore the, th- I didn't just, I didn't set on fire. I nuked the bridge in every one of those. That's part of entrepreneurship. It's part of learning. And, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I also hit my first million within two years and mm-hmm. I know that is not normal. Right. And that 
I remember the day that I was blindly following guidance from, from a mentor that I, I don't work with anymore. And it's not her fault, but I was, I was essentially, she was creating the vision for me. And this person's method was just like, sell more, sell more, sell more. And I'm very good at executing. If you set a target, I'm going to fucking crush it. Cause that's just how I am as a person. And I looked up one day and I was like, oh my God, like these are not the right clients. Yeah. Who did, what did I do? Right. And I yeah. completely burned down my, an offer that had made me 1.5 mil rebuilt another one, launched it at a live event that I had never done before. And, and, you know, it was that like, I'm all about risk taking. So yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, I will say though, I never, I never went up and then down. So I was able to make all those changes while still maintaining a seven figure run rate, which I was super mm. proud of, but in the process of that, on the back end, what people didn't see was team members that were betraying me, going behind my back, like just really catty shit. And, uh, you know, I, those are things that I legally can't really talk about, but it's yeah. like people don't understand the shit that we go through. Like it's, and, and I know you've mentioned this too. I never, ever once did this to make money. All I said in the beginning was, I want to match my salary. That's all I wanted to do to never go back to news. I just wanted to match my salary. And, you know, kind of going back to how you were talking about, you'll find the right people once you build that culture. I think coaches have a really hard time with finding the right team members for two reasons. And I'll, I, would I would love your take on this. One of the incorrect or one of the pathways that I see is they're lonely. They're hiring people because they just don't want to do business alone. Um, the other path is they think that that's the way to scale. Like if I have ACs, that is Justin does it. I should do it. Right. Like that's what they see. Lane Norton has this. I have to do it. Right. That's what they see. And so I would love to know your take on the selfish kind of reasons. And then the everyone's doing it. I should do that. I've never thought about the fact that people hire they're basically trying to like hire friends because oh, it's such it's such a big thing with women that I work with. They're like, I just want a community. And they don't flat out say like, I'm lonely, but they're like, man, I don't want to do this by myself. And I'm like, that's why you get in coaching containers. That's why you go fucking network. And people ask me all the time, Taylor, how do you get someone messaged me the other day when I posted about you being on the podcast Yeah, saying like, how'd you get Justin? I said, I fucking DM'd him. Like yeah. I emailed him, right? Yeah. How'd you find his email? Well, I mean, we're on the same email list, but let's yeah. say you weren't. I would go to your website. I would find out whatever the domain is and I would add your first name. And that's probably your fucking email. That's probably the email. I've said it a million freaking times. If somebody invites me on their podcast, I will say yes. If somebody invites me to an engagement, even if you can't pay me for it, I will say yes. If somebody invites me for something, like I'm going to show up because I am the resource I really needed to have. And so like, I want to be that for other people. Back to your original question. Um, the lovely thing is something I, I want to, I want to think on more after this, because man, that's absolutely fascinating to me. And you are spot on with that. Yet you are right. There's a lot of people hiring coaches because they feel like that's what they should do. If you know what, if I could go back to it all over, uh, when I was in position to hire the first ever TM coach, I would have benefited greater by hiring a PA who was constantly in the Facebook group, who was curating an email list, um, 
and and who was planning out content stuff for me so that all of that could be off of my plate and i would i would hire somebody super high energy crazy passionate about the work that they do probably someone who's college age um, probably a female to curate the community. And I would get them in that Team Mahaley Facebook group, which is open for anybody to join for free if uh, you would like to join while listening to this podcast. But I would, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I would get somebody in that in that community just going nuts. Like right now we post three times and my staff posts three times a day, every single day in the Facebook community and people go nuts in it and it's all value and it's all riling people up and getting people ready. And it's incredible what that does. That's the first thing that I would honestly nurture. I would have that. I would have email lists being worked. Um, and like I said, I would have somebody like coming up with content ideas, scanning Instagram uh, for for like prospecting Instagram for content ideas that I could recreate and make my own. I would hire that way before a coach. I would get all of that rolling. And then after that, yeah, even before a coach, I would then hire somebody else to come in and kind of handle all the biz org items, oh, which I you can easily find. Hire a VA yeah, or an AC. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then you get all like, they just watch everything you do. They document the entire freaking thing. They make this nice and neat and to the point. Cause if you're a true entrepreneur, you just fucking bootstrapped it together to where you are now. You don't have these systems and processes that you follow to get to where you're at, but you've created systems and processes that clearly work. So having somebody come in, document, build all of this out, make this very clean and easy to understand and to replicate in somebody else, then I would hire a coach after that. So I, I would say hiring a coach before those things would nearly be malpractice at this point because if it's just you and then one coach, you're not ready for that coach. Well, and like I said, it's, it's you know, <clears throat> to really oversimplify scaling a business, right? If we're looking at a fitness coaching business, there are, there are two routes that I see coaches follow, right? The one route is ACs and the other route is building some kind of signature course and either selling that to coaches, maybe not business coaching, but just something that becomes like a, a truly high ticket offer. And then they're kind of running, running the show and the course becomes the main focus. Those are typically the two routes I see in this space. And with it, with the AC, the question I always ask is you can't hire people and then create the culture. Like the culture starts with you and, and the coaches that I see that want to hire an AC, they don't have the lead volume yet. They don't know, they don't have the SOPs built. Their backend system isn't there. If I were to, if I were to ask them what their cold to close rate is, they're like, I don't know. Like, what is that rate? Uh, what's your attention rate? I don't know. I think around X months, right? Like that's not an answer. And so, but yeah, definitely think on that uh, hiring for friends thing, because it's definitely um, something that I hear very frequently. People not yeah, want to let their VAs go because they're like, God, I just talk to them every day. Um, and, you know, I'm somebody that does business by myself. Like I, I built this house. I live in it by myself. I don't have children. Like, I don't know. I just think that you network and you, you make it work. And entrepreneurship is super fucking lonely if you don't have connections in the space. For yeah, sure. I, I agree so much. Your network, uh, the people around you, I firmly believe in this. I'm unbelievably gifted with the people 
that I, I have in my life. I'm fortunate for the people I have in my life because I'm surrounded by super high caliber entrepreneurs who like they're where I want to be. And my God, it makes this whole thing so much easier. Actually, the guy who is uh, building out my sales team right now and the girl building out my marketing team, they've both done this at such a high clip and so successfully before that this is super easy. I mean, and they give you the friends and family discount, which is always nice because usually when someone's made as an entrepreneur, the money just doesn't mean very much. They just want to be part of something. So, yeah, I agree. Very cool. I mean, I, I just remember, you know, people always ask me, like, how did you become so connected with certain people in the industry. And I said, okay, well, transparently, back in 2015, I had an internship for 60 minutes and I begged them to let me do fitness stuff on the weekends. And that was back when IIFYM was wildly popular. Uh, yeah. So I wrote the first mainstream article about it. And I- No way. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to get Lane Norton in it. I wanted to get Chrissy Mae Cagney in it. And I fucking did. And then soon after that, Lane was my coach. And that's how I got connected in that space. But it's just so funny. Like, I don't think people understand like how simple it is to just send an email or to ask a question because there are people listening to this right now that are probably like, damn, I'd love to pick his brain. Mm -hmm. So fucking ask him, you know, yeah. like that's yeah. really it. Like, I, I, I think that people are just so intimidated by networking or, or going yeah. to events or like this Nashville thing you and I are going to be at together. Right. Like, just go there by yourself. You don't have to know anyone. And that's the beauty of it, right? So moving into the topic of failure being inevitable, nobody likes failing. It feels like shit, okay? No one's like, yeah, failure, okay? But how did you develop this mindset? Because there's so many there's so many more fails than wins in the first year of your business. So how do you... How did you coach yourself through those? How would you coach someone else through that first year of business? Yeah, you've got to be really ironclad in what it is you want. I put speaking of the Nashville speaking engagement, I was writing some more of my speech today. Um, and I'm talking in there about a few things. You know, one is imposter syndrome and you know my beliefs around imposter syndrome. One is just fearing everything, but another one is. I just believe so heavily in visualization. Um, when I close my eyes, I should be able within 10 seconds to draw my desired outcome. What does that version of Justin look like? Who's that version of Justin surrounded by? How does he dress? How does he speak? How does he walk? Um, how does he treat other people? Um, how is he showing up for his clients, for his staff? How is that Justin different from the current version of Justin? And that's going to continually develop as time goes on. But when you are very new to this space, getting around people who are hyper successful somehow, like what Taylor's saying, just literally send a freaking DM. Like, just ask. Just, like, don't just send DM saying, hey, or hey, can I pick your brain? Or hey, can like put some effort into it, put some, do something to stand out. Um, and if you really do something to stand out, Honestly, I have two interns right now who work uh, with me for free and they're just putting in sweat equity and they are both absolutely loving just being able to work one-on-one -on -one with me. We have Zoom calls every single week. We chat, we'll chat for 20 minutes about what their jobs are and then we'll chat for 10 minutes where it's just open forum, whatever, and they absolutely love it. 
Like that's a system. Can you, can you offer some sort of value? Like offer to enter with people. But I have this whole thing about touching it. Your desired outcome that you see when you close your eyes, meet someone or put yourself in the arena with someone who is similar to that person. Network with that person. Shake their hand, look them in the eye, speak to them, have an energetic exchange with that person. And at that point, you are now touching what it is that you want to be. You are physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually touching the thing that you want to become. And back to your point about people being so damn scared to do that. Show up to the Nashville event by yourself. Don't bring a friend. That should terrify the hell out of you. Walk up to the people that you admire the most there when we're done speaking. Chat with us. Don't just ask for a picture and leave. Chat with us. Like, look at me in the eyes and talk to me. Let's let's see if we can make some headway on your career, on your professional, on your future. And I didn't do a great job of this when I was younger, and I would say it probably took me a lot longer to get to the person I wanted to be, even though the professional outcomes looked great. Everything else was a tragedy in my life. So it took me a long time to get there because I hadn't seen that person in real time. Uh, I, I think that there's really something to be said about touching that desired outcome, and then you actively work to be it. The person that you want to be is you know, probably reading some books, right? The person that you want to be is probably communicating well with other people. The person you want to be is probably prioritizing their fitness and exercise and their mental fitness and their emotional fitness as well. The person you want to be might be journaling. Like whatever that is, start doing those actions. And when you start doing those actions, you simply become the person that you want to be. And also understanding that, you know, I'm sure a lot of you listening have read, you know, Atomic Habits. I would also recommend reading Power of a Habit. But, you know, it sounds so simple, but the people that are truly successful in this space are doing the basic shit extremely fucking well. It's not that we are not doing it. I am in my DMs daily. My team is in the DMs daily. Like we are fucking crushing, right? But I think sometimes we assume that we hit a level and then we don't have to do it anymore, right? Because that happens too. Whereas, okay, you're, let's say somebody's crushing sales, they hit six figures, and then they need to hire a team member and train them. And then during this training, the DMs fall off and they're like, oh, fuck, can I pay this team member because my sales aren't coming in, right? Like, I think understanding the foundation, you know, as strong as you can build that is really your first priority. And really getting to know yourself on your weak points. What are your emotional triggers? Why can't you visualize it? Because you said that and made me think. I remember my last year in TV and I was trying to picture like what the end game was for me. And I always thought I could, I could articulate it. But for the first time in my life, my thought went black. And that was always like this weird red flag to me. And that's never been the case with anything in my life, but getting laid off was like the best thing to ever happen to me. And so it's just funny because now there's not a single part of my thoughts that are pitch black, right? There's yeah. elements that are foggy, 
but like yeah. the direction is clear. There are certain things that are very fucking clear, but they're a little bit closer, right? It's the three to five year that's a little foggy, but the next six months to 18 are very fucking clear in my brain. So that was interesting how you how you said that. And I also see so many coaches are are aspiring to be like, you know, the Hermoses, right? And it's like, can you just focus on like what is six months in front of you? Because yeah. it's great. But I also think like shut off outside influence for a second. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're getting, if you're listening to podcasts and reading all the books and you're still fucking sitting on your couch, like what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. My friend Chris has this thing. He says, um, you can read about the thing. You can talk about the thing. You can write about the thing. You can create an action plan about the thing. You can call a mentor about the thing. You can dream about the thing. You can journal about the thing. You can drive your car and you can uh, visualize the thing. You can eat your meals and you can focus on the thing. You can tell your best friend about the thing. You can tell your mom about the thing. You can start and stop buying the things that are needed to do the thing. But the only fucking thing that matters is when you actually do the thing. And everyone is terrified to do the thing. Just do it. Just do it. Um, I told a, a friend of mine recently who has some good ideas but never does anything with them. I was like, when I am in this stall phase where I have this monster to-do list, it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. It's amazing. It's my, it's my solace. I love, it makes me feel purpose. But like, if I gave this to somebody else, they would not feel great about themselves. Um, it's insanity. So when something has been on my to-do list for longer than two days, I just start doing it. I don't think about it. I don't anything. I nothing it. I just start doing it and I just dive in and I just make sure I get step one completed and step one might be, um, I, I, I had this, um, sponsorship opportunity for the podcast that I'm like kind of on the fence about, and I didn't want to schedule this call because I don't have time in the week to do another freaking phone call. And so I just, it's been on my to-do list since like Thursday of last week. It made me feel like shit about myself this morning. So I had this message and I was like, hey, can you just record a three-minute loom, send back to me exactly what it is you're wanting, exactly what your product's going to be and who your target audience is. And you know what? I got a three-minute loom doing all of that stuff. And I was stressing about the thing because they wanted a 30-minute phone call. I don't have time for a 30-minute phone call. They got it done in three minutes. All you have to do is just do the thing. Stop stopping yourself from doing the thing. Procrastination will kill you. It will absolutely destroy you because one day we don't have time anymore. One day there's not a tomorrow. One day you literally don't wake up again. One day you're not who you are right now and you have more energy and more vitality and you're younger than you ever will be right now. So you might as well start doing the thing. I also think it's just important to remember that the thing that we all want listening to this podcast is something that 99% of people are not willing to do. Yeah. And if you yeah. cannot act like the 1% that's doing it, there's a reason my mastermind is called path to 4% because only 4% yeah. of coaches scale to seven figures. Like that percentage is not fucking made up. So like, yeah. 
do the fucking thing. I'm yeah. absolutely with you. And it's not, it's not always that easy, but my homework, if you're listening to this is figure out where that restriction is coming from. If you have not read the book, Psycho Cybernetics, I highly recommend it. It's going to help you kind of rewire the way that you think about what you do in yourself. And, and just, it's, it's such a good book, but anyway, I'm with you on that. And I, I wanted to kind of, you mentioned the, the task list. So I want to go into some yeah. boundaries and workflow because Similar to you, I don't have a 48 hour rule or a two business day rule, but I have certain times on my schedule for ad hoc and overflow. So there's like a 30 minute block, maybe an hour at the beginning of certain days a week where that's where I do the dumb shit, like the IRS crap or the phone call yeah. or the, the schedule. I'm like, oh, and I just same with you because everything always comes before that annoying shit. But yeah. sometimes I do it. So I'd love to know first kind of like what your workflow looks like and how many hours you work in a week. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that's a good question. I have far more boundaries with it now than ever since I've been able to hire a lot of people to do a lot of things. Um, wake up 6.15 on the way to the gym, 6.30, and then I'm done training 7.30. I'm at the um, coffee shop by 8, and uh, I go 8 to 3.30 straight through, like muscling through. Like This is very intensive, creative work. This isn't like you're clocked in, uh, but eight at the absolute latest, 3.30, I have a timer that goes off. I always work with my phone upside down, like behind my computer, so I don't see it. Um, timer goes off. I'll get up. I'll do a little stretch. I'll walk a little bit. But I I mean, it's, to be honest, it's quite insane what I get done in a day. And then after 3.30, I usually leave four to six. Like we're, we're, we recorded this at four. I leave four to six for like whatever time. Like if someone wants to do a podcast, that's when it gets recorded. Um, if I want to FaceTime my mom, that's when it gets done. If I want to call my niece, that's when it gets done. Uh, and then I, I go to dinner around six 30. I eat dinner out every single night to reward myself for how hard I worked on the day. And I live in downtown Austin and there's unbelievable restaurants nearby. You could, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, and I, while I wait on my food, I only order an entree. So when I go in, I order an entree and by the time I sit down, the time the entree comes, I finish up phone work or I'll take my laptop and I'll do laptop work. Like, dude, I'm literally at a five-star restaurant with my fucking laptop out of the, I don't give a shit, dude. I'm, I don't give a shit. I'm there working. But as soon as that entree comes, it's away, it's gone, it's done, and then I'm done for the day. So that's every day, including Saturday and Sunday. That, that, it, it doesn't miss. Um, in about two months, I'm going to be able to be done by 1.30, though. So I look forward to that. Uh, I really look forward to that. <laughs> but so, what, that would be, that'd be what, like, 50, um, 65 hours a week given, given the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 A lot of people, a, a lot of people say they work that much, but when you're actually working that much, your outcomes show that you work that much. If you're working 65 hours a week and you're poor, then you're not working 65 hours a week. I can promise you that. Right. Or you don't know what to work on. I, I ask you that question yeah. because I love asking really fucking successful people how they schedule your day because the one common theme, and I don't care how big your team gets, because even if you have people that let you leave a little bit earlier, there's always going to be that curve in which you like get pulled into your business more before you're actually out of it. There's always that like ebb and flow, but you have very identical schedules. It's kind of funny. Um, I'm at the coffee shop usually by like seven though. And I'm done by two, yeah. so like, a, like an hour different than you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's really funny. Uh, five o'clock alarm. So again, we're, we're very similar. And then afterwards yeah. 
I'm done at five. Five is my hard boundary. If I'm doing client work at six, I find that I don't sleep as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I need time to just like relax. Um, but that's so interesting because similar to you, I feel like I can just crank a bunch of shit out and best practices at coffee shops. If I'm working on content, I don't even connect to the Wi-Fi because I intentionally don't want distractions. My phone mm-hmm. is on D and D. I also really love the shortcuts app on, if you have an iPhone, you all have this. Yeah. You can literally set up shortcuts to where if you start your Apple watch for your workout, you automatically go on D and D you could even like mm. send your girlfriend a text at 9am Monday, Wednesday, Friday saying good morning. So if you know, boyfriends, if you forget that, you can do that too. Um, no the- shit. I didn't know you could do any of that. I wow. know. I'm safe <laughs> relationships everywhere. Wow. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. So like, I, I think that people, people work, but they're not efficient and I always tell my clients to, you know, to become massively just obsessed with efficiency because I will never have less content to produce than right now. It's only going to, it's only going to grow. That's it. Right. And, but I, I can't always spend more time. So I have to get faster. And I think that people, you know, they don't treat it like a fucking job. Like I'm not saying, Oh, it's a job. I hate it. But like, you need to clock in, clock out. You need to focus and then chill, right? Like having those times and then if you're constantly burnt out every seven fucking days, you know, like really reevaluate your schedule and really reevaluate the workflow and see what you can change. Um, so I would like to ask you how you balance dating and just personal with working 60 hours a week and doing what you do. Dude, it's funny you bring that up. Since I've turned 30, um, I have this incessant need. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. I have this like incessant desire to be a father and like, I am just nowhere near that in my romantic. I just fucking told my friend the other day. So I'm 31. So, um, and I'm, I'm very much single. And I remember telling my friend literally a few days ago, I was like, dude, when I meet a guy or see a guy, I look at their fucking hand before I look at their face now. Why is that? I'm just like someone like wife me up. Like I'm ready. Like I'm just ready to like, I, like you're looking my for a day. wedding ring. Yeah. Like, I, so I've been single for about five years yeah. and I've just been fucking hustling. Like the end, like yeah. I'm not, I've never like looked for a date. Like it just shit happens. Yeah. Like I'm, I do yeah. dating apps or any of that shit, but I think mm-hmm. it's funny. So people ask me how I, how I balance. I'm like, well, I, I don't like, I'm very selfish because I don't have yeah. to. So that's yeah. why, like, I'm going to ask you how you balance it. Yeah. You have a better answer than me. I, I I've definitely I've definitely not had a shortage of dates. Um, living in Austin, being a a bachelor in downtown Austin is quite a good life. <laughs> I see. But, you know, it's just um, when your your true focus really is on the impact that your brand is leaving an industry. And I have two things blowing up right now. The, you know, TM is scaling unbelievably fast and grower die podcast is also doing the same. Like typically you have one thing and that one thing requires everything. The timing of my professional career right now is two are happening at once. And so you have to get, you have momentum. You have to maintain the momentum. So I've hired four people for the podcast. I've hired six more people for the staff. So I think there's 13 on TM. There's six on podcasts now. There's 13 on TM. There's seven on the podcast, 13 on TM. So there's 20 total now. 
holy shit that's crazy um and like i feel like i'm like the head of the octopus with all these tentacles going out um but then like the head is split and it's like 30 percent grow or die and 70 percent tm you know um and now we have I, I i have tons of speaking engagements that i'm booked for this year which i'm incredibly fortunate for but it's like okay where in this do you nurture a romantic relationship to where you're not wasting somebody's time and emotional energy um i've done plenty of that and you know right now i'm not quite there um there's one super fucking special person in my life who's been there a really long time and I think that when things die down and, it, um, you know, it's it's a little bit calmer, uh, you know, potentially something could could come long term there. But it's just, oh, man, on, my, on the list of things I focus on. Yeah, it just it doesn't because I'd be wasting someone's time. And it sounds similar to you. I would just I would be wasting somebody's time. And I don't, I don't want to. Do and I don't know. I'm also like really picky. And the older I get and the more I grow, the more picky I get. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've come to the conclusion that I really don't want to be with somebody that has to request time off. Like, dude, I, dude, you know I, I mean? feel you on that. Yeah. Like, feel you I on that. Kind of want to get on a plane maybe and just find yeah. Wi Fi and, and work somewhere else. Yeah, dude, I'm not doing that. I'm not I'm not abiding by that schedule. I, I refuse so, to. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. I mean, I like I said, it's it's I've never once dated anybody that I was looking for. Like shit just kind of fucking happens. And so yeah. well, anyway, it sounds like we're similar in the boat. So yeah. <laughs> we're not the ones for romantic yeah. relationship yeah. then. Um yeah, good luck for whoever tries dating us. <laughs> good luck. I know. I, I was joking with I was joking a few weeks ago. I was like, okay, wouldn't it be funny though, if I made an application and just like put that on my stories and then just got some people to share it, like now accepting applications for serious. <laughs> like, I just thought that'd be hilarious. Like, because I think I, you should I, do it. Okay. Well, if you said it, then only, only you share it. Cause you have more followers. All right, I'll, so. I'll share it for you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I'll get you a whole crowd. I paid for the collaboration of this. So uh. like, um, I'm just no, I'll keep it. If I actually do it, I'll definitely let you know, but I would love it. That's, that's so actually funny. my pitch in Nashville. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, is anyone so here want to date me by the way if anyone wants to date me uh that's why i'm actually here because jason's been worried about uh, my health um, yeah. <laughs> okay so i have a few like um, questions that i just want to ask yeah. uh randomly okay so what is your biggest ick in the fitness industry right now oh man the over glorification of the things that just don't really matter very much get into the gym, train your ass off and good things are going to happen. And oh my goodness, this whole, I, I think dieting culture and like all in mentality culture are like, absolutely. You making progression is not that stringent and difficult. Um, especially if you're training hard. Um, I think the amount of people talking, over their heads is very difficult as well. There's a lot of bad intentions. Um, that's a lot of X, but those are my main X right now. Okay. All right. Um, one ick that I have, I think, in the industry is that everybody is calling themselves functional when they don't. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they are. That's goofy, huh? I don't know. You said it's goofy, huh? Yeah, that's goofy. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, what, what are some either what are books that you think that any entrepreneur should read, or just what's a really good one you've read lately? What's like a recommendation? 
God. Oh, I am so weird. The books that I read are all biographies. I learn way more like reading biographies of yeah. hyper successful people. Um, so Elon Musk actually lives in the building next door to me. And um, so it's it, I, I read his biography and I was absolutely amazed by it. But I don't as much as I am into the self-improvement stuff, I don't read many self-improvement books because I find myself getting cascaded by this and I reach the point of diminishing returns where like, no, I shouldn't do this because the book said I shouldn't do this. Like, what if doing that makes you feel good? Um, oh gosh, I can't even think of something off the top of my head. Um, okay. I gave up smoking weed. I don't smoke weed anymore. Um, but there was a time where it helped me tremendously when I wasn't handling my stress well because scaling of business was so rapid I didn't have the systems in place internally or emotionally to be able to handle it. So smoking weed actually was helping me. And like you're reading a book that's talking about like giving up drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. Okay. Well, like the old fashioned on Tuesday and Thursday nights makes me feel better. The, the THC calms down my brain. So right now these things are actively helping me. I have data that suggests it's helping me. The book said it was bad. And now I'm in this internal conflict. So I don't read a lot of like self-help things like that. Um, I've read Atomic Habits, thought it was cool. I've read 4-Hour Workweek, thought it was cool. Um, I just like reading biographies. I like taking things from people who have achieved bouts of success that I'll never get to. And I'm okay not getting to some of those. Like I don't want to be Elon Musk. I have no, no interest. Um, and... I like his book. I like any Steve, anything about Steve Jobs. I really enjoy a lot. He was so innovative and fascinating. Um, I'm reading a Jeff Bezos right now. Um, oh, there was one. Oh my goodness, what was that guy's name? The first ever, um, first ever uh, oil tycoon. I forget that guy's name, but uh, I read his book like two years ago, and I think a lot about it. Um, yeah, I just love biographies of hyper successful people. There's things. There's Things you can learn from them and water down to match you. What Elon Musk is doing, all I need to do is 5%. If I see 5% of what Elon's doing, then I'm probably turning in a pretty good direction, you know? Yeah. I will say I'm with you on that because some of the, I don't, if a book is claimed to be self-help, I typically don't like it unless, unless I have a client that truly is just like, really needing some guidance on emotional intelligence or something like that. But the classics don't do it for me. It's, it's, and I say classics, like the ones that everybody reads, right? For me, if I, if a book is on like a list of must reads, I probably won't want yeah. to read it. So I just go down rabbit holes. Like, let's say that I'm really curious to know about paid advertisements. Like I might mm -hmm. look up what major companies have been around for forever success, like having success with paid ads and like who has, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of mm -hmm. how I look for books. It's like, what do I want to learn about? That's not so hope leadership. I love that. Right. And then yeah. I kind of go down these like curiosity rabbit holes and I give myself about two, one hour blocks a month, just get fucking mm -hmm. curious and go down rabbit holes. Um, and that usually like leads me somewhere, but I also, it's always an audio book for me. I can't yeah. read like the self-help or like the, the, anything that's nonfiction. I need to listen to mm -hmm. it. I just, I absorb it better. Um, okay. Question. So you obviously have a strong personality. You're bold as shit. You're polarizing similar to me. What is something that you think people might misunderstand about you if they don't know you? 
Yeah, that's an amazing question, dude. I am like the biggest teddy bear of all time. Like, I'm actually really freaky. I I am an unbelievably kind person. Like, I'm just so like, um, I take a ton of pride in being a super safe space for people. So like, like when you and I meet in Nashville, like I hope, I hope that that's what you feel for me. I want everyone to feel crazy safe around me because I, I, I think that a lot of us don't have that in life. And when it comes from a hyper masculine individual, I think that that really unlocks a lot of place for people to allow vulnerability, to allow more emotional development, uh, to allow themselves to actually capture the message um, that I'm trying to share. Um, and I, I think it just simply makes people feel really good. Like I, I, I did this funny thing. I always wear hoodies, even when it's warm outside, I'll wear hoodies around my house because I feel like it's giving me a hug. Like, and, and I love hugs. And like, that sums me up pretty well. It's like, I can definitely, I, I definitely have a very polarizing message and like way I go about things, but I am, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm really proud of how kind I am. I haven't always been. But um, I, I do a good job of putting people first. And I do it in a manner with intense boundaries that I think doesn't allow me to get screwed over anymore by people. Like, I'll put you first until or unless type situation. I love that. No, great answer. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, people always tell me that I come as advertised. They're like, I didn't know if, like, you'd be the same in person, but, like, you're the same. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really, yeah, I come as advertised. <laughs> That's called uh, authenticity. <laughs> that's what that word is. Uh, so asking you about your podcast, because I'm curious too, how how were you able, like what was kind of the, the snowball effect of growing that? Or I guess what's been kind of your method for monetizing your podcast? Yeah, freaking consistency. I mean, what episode 344 just dropped today or something like that. So um, it's coming up on four years old. I feel like, I'm really good in both the solo set, yet also the guest set. Um, I, I, yeah, the work that goes into every episode is really intense, and it's only picking up now. Um, there's also a budget for that to be had, as it is monetizing now, and I'm really proud of that. So I don't make any money and profit off the podcast. Everything it makes just gets reinvested back into it, and it's allotting for us to do some really cool things. Um, but I'm such a just curious person and I'm so open-minded to continually being changed and having new data sets or opinions or thought processes kind of brought to me that um, I feel like a lot of people view me as somewhat of an intelligent person. And then they come to my podcast and I'm just open to being highly educated by whoever is there. So I come in as a student, a very well-prepared student, and I think people really enjoy that a lot. Um, the whole safe space thing, um, my favorite, my high that I chase in life right now is when on a show and Taylor, almost every single show I get this out of somebody, the show gets to a point of vulnerability where the guest looks at me and they're like, well, I've actually never shared this before. And if you listen to a lot of Grow or Die podcasts, you're going to start noticing that trend. And man, when I get somebody there, I mean, I just had it with Jordan Duggar on my show, who he's been an extremely close friend and mentor of mine for uh, seven years now. 
And I had no idea, you know, what, what he shared after he said that. I had no idea that that had gone on. Um, and I, I also, it's like, I pour so fucking much into that thing. When did like, you it's built to grow. Being like multiple episodes per week? Like what, what time frame? Um, um, I always have actually, I always have. Cause in the beginning, as soon as I started it, when it was very bodybuilding focused, I saw a ton of income happen to TM. Like a ton of people who were interested in me coaching them, listening to the podcast, they're like, okay, that's, yeah, I'm hiring TM. So off the bat, it was super easy because there was a hockey stick of income. Um, There's a lot of listeners right away too. I mean, I think the first month we did 20 or 30,000 downloads, which at the time I was like, oh, that, I don't really know what that means. And now looking back, it's like, damn, your first month, like, most people's first month, they do a thousand downloads. Um, so there was a lot of people that clearly wanted me to have that, uh, a podcast. Um, and then now I do four episodes a week. We launched three per week. Um, and we're going to do an American tour at the end of this year. So I'm going to go around to different um, cities in America and I'm going to do live podcast shows and speaking events with um, guests of the shows um, in a bunch of different places. And I'm really looking forward to that. But I went all in. I wanted to be a pro. Like, I, I, I want to be a great podcast. So I want to leave my mark on podcasting. I mean, I just looked up our rankings today. And um, my I, I do two fitness podcasts per month now. And we're still ranked 43rd in, in, in the world in fitness. And that's with two episodes per month. When I transition from fitness to more education or self-improvement type of, of uh, shows, um, we were number six. And you know, like we're, we're still that high with you know, only that. Um, we were 81 in education. You know how many education podcasts are? You know how dense that market is? Like we're number 81 in the world. And now like I've gone all in. Um, I I have truly become a pro at podcasting, but I look forward to getting even better than I have now. I've I've put in ten thousand hours. We've done over ten thousand hours um, of prepping, practicing, review, and podcasting. That's so cool. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Um, if anyone's listening, I mean, aside from consistency, like what what advice would you give for somebody who's trying to plan out? really good topics that are captivating and additionally finding the right guests for those. Cause to me, that's the hardest part. I think the hardest part is, is finding the right guests because sometimes I'm like, damn, I want to talk about this, but I don't know who the fuck I need, you know? Yep. Yep. So I actually reverse engineer it. I find people that I think can bring value and then I cultivate topics based off of them. So I want to talk about anything and everything on my show. I mean, we talk about sex, we talk about fitness, we talk about entrepreneurship, we talk about, we, I, I have had two billionaires on my show, we talk about making a billion dollars, we talk about uh, masculine, feminine um, dynamics, we talk about everything except for politics, because I don't have, I mean, we, we talk about religion, we talk about all of it, um, we don't talk about politics, I'm not interested in going down that, that rabbit hole, um, and I find somebody I'll do about an hour of prospecting a week. And then I have my team do prospecting as well. And we find people uh, to come on the show and we've never been turned down by anybody, which is great, but we just find people that I feel like I can have fun with, or I can have a really insightful conversation with um, on some of the shows. We smoke a joint together on some of the shows. We'll have a whiskey together on some of the shows. We'll smoke a cigar together. Um, 
it's a very it's i i'm very dynamic in my approach some people don't like that and that's okay um if everybody liked it then i probably wouldn't like it so um you know, we we're, we're growing really fast, but I just find people who I think can add value and I bring them on my show. Um, I have my team figure out the topics later. I just find someone that I like. <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think having that team is, is super helpful too, right? Like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Built something to that capacity. <clears throat> Very cool. I couldn't do it if it wasn't for my team, especially, um, yeah, Emily, Tim, uh, Claire, Mike, Grant, especially, I mean, holy shit, there's no way in hell I could do it without them. Very cool. So, okay, overrated and underrated fitness trends. Overrated right now. There's this whole push. Um, actually, let me start with the underrated one. The underrated one. Um, I've seen this in physique results and I've seen it in blood work. We need more fatty fish and less fatty red meat. I've seen it a million times. Um, it's absolutely fascinating, and it's likely due to the quality of red meat. You know, most uh, red meat that says it's from America is not from America. As long as it gets packaged or sliced or something happens to it when it gets to America, then it can say made in the USA. And, yeah, that's just a little fun. Um, wild caught fatty fish, like salmon, mackerel. Yeah, we need more of those things for our overall health. Um, something else that or something that's underrated by far is mentors. Identify the person you want to be. How do you get as close to working with the final product as possible? Reach out. If they offer a mentorship, do the mentorship. If they'll let you be an intern, be an intern. Figure out what the fuck they're doing. Improve yourself to them. Um, there's a reason you look up to that person. I will make you aware that once you start getting close to the people you idolize the most, you might not like them anymore, and you have to be prepared to have your heart a little bit broken by who they actually are. Um, but I think the most underrated trend is definitely having someone who can accurately lead you. And it's about far more than a physique. Like if we're talking about bodybuilding or simple physique changes, I, I, I know people hire me because they just want to look the way my clients look or achieve what my clients have achieved. But I want to change people's lives, not just their physique. And I know for a fact that we can achieve that. And I know there's a lot of other coaches who can as well. I'm not special in that regard. But you should, I, I believe that if you were to trade places with the person that you view as a mentor, that you would be extremely happy with that end outcome. So choose your mentors very wisely. Um, but I would say that's probably the most underrated thing imaginable because everyone's like, Oh, it's expensive. Like, yeah, it's expensive. I mean, Taylor and I just did this podcast last hour. I talked about how I've been doing this for nine years and over nine years. I mean, we're $20 million in revenue. Um, so if I'm charging you a thousand dollars for my time, I mean, I don't know what that math is, but it's not even close. The The lessons that I'm giving you, it's not even close. So may, you better make that investment. Agreed. Okay, last thing. What's on your gym playlist right now? What are you listening to? Dude, have you heard of the um, day? You, you go to Spotify and you search daytime. No. And it cultivates, it cultivates a playlist for you. But it, why? It's like um it, it also does nighttime it does so like i train during the day 
Same. So, so, so like you could go, you search daytime uh-huh. and it's analytics, take all of the music that you typically listen to at that time of the day. And it puts it into a playlist <coughs> and curates your own playlist. So I'll be, and, and then it names it as well. And I just did this earlier today. Is it called Daylist or Daytime? Daylist. That's what it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Daylist. That's oh. what it is. Um, my Daylist is called Powerful Confidence Afternoon. Do you want to know what mine is called? What's it called? <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to well. It's- <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh no. It's called Haunting Ocean Monday Evening. Oh my God. That's intense. It's a little depressive. Okay, so I'm about <laughs> as emo as a person can be. Like I am what they call the elder emo. So like oh that's why gosh. this is fucking hilarious. But anyway, um Is it pretty accurate? Yeah, none of it's sad. Yeah, that's why it's so funny. It's more of like the pop punk kind of stuff. Yeah. But that's yep. so funny. I'm dead. So, Wait. so mine is sultry and intimate. So like I'll listen to like, yeah, like the weekend. I'll listen to Rihanna. I'll listen to I'll listen to fucking Ariana Grande. I'll listen to Doja Cat at the gym. Like so I'm gonna feel a, a little bit sexy. Is there a night list or what's the other one called? Well, let's see. Because I just have, I just have, oh, I got night list. Oh, my night list is definitely going to be very sexual. Wait, no, I don't, I don't think night list is a thing. Oh, no. artist, I just have a late night mix. Honestly, this haunting ocean Monday evening is killing me right now. This is. That is absolutely hilarious. I'm not well. This is hilarious. Anyway, oh, I think that's, that's the perfect thing. I learned something new about Spotify, which like, I realized. You know was- what? That was my uh, that was my goal today. My goal today was to teach you something about Spotify during this podcast. I mean, me personally, thank you because <laughs> I can't tell you, I just that that's going to come up at some point. But yeah, is there is. anything that you think I should have asked you? Any last pieces of wisdom? I'm of course going to link. Uh, I think you mentioned Facebook group and then of course your yeah. pod, not your podcast. Well, I can do that too, but all Please. of what important links you want will be in the show notes, but what, what yeah. final words of wisdom would you like to leave us with? I think we covered some really good and super helpful stuff in this show. Um, one thing that I will add that I don't think can ever go swept under the rug is the whole thing about doing the thing. You can hear that, you can listen to it, and you can make the to-do list. You can follow the schedules that Taylor and I said that we follow. You can look up your day list, Spotify playlist. You can read the books. You can start reading biographies. Nothing is ever, ever going to get accomplished unless you just dive in. I don't know if what I'm working on is the right thing. Taylor has no idea if what she's working on is the right thing. It's just an educated guess based off of the data that we have of years of entrepreneurship. I am honestly, um, we live in a world where anything's possible. If you have internet connection, you can make a difference. So you need to do the fucking thing, but you need to be a fucking nice person. There's too much negativity. There's too much bullshit. There's too much crap going on. In the world of social media and people sending negative energy to other people, whatever enemies you have, make shit right with them. 
take ownership, apologize for it, because karma is an ever-flowing energy. And all of the other energies in your life, including romantic, including financial, including the success, all of those are wrapped into abundance. And if you have a scarcity mindset because you have enemies, you have people that you think are out to get you. Listen, no one fucking cares what you're doing. Nobody cares what you're doing. You are the only person that cares what you are doing. And we have this bias as humans to think other people care way more than they do. I promise nobody gives a shit what you're doing. So just make sure you're actually doing something. And don't carry negative energy. Get rid of it. Apologize, people take ownership. Um, you know, I've had a few instances in my life where uh, people have died that, you know, my last interaction with them was negative. And, you know, yeah, I'll live with that forever. Luckily, I've been able to um, free of myself, move on from that. But you never know what's going to happen to somebody. You never know what's going to happen to you. So go through life and be a fucking kind human and um, and do the fucking thing. I love it. All right. Justin, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Taylor. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Taylor DeHaze podcast. Love the episode, share it and tag me on Instagram. Have a question, my DMs are always open. Until next time, bye y'all.